לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Schechter, Day School, Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski of Anche Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you. It's great to have you. It's great to be able to have these conversations. Kitavo this week, an amazing Parsha, but before we begin, we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, spend a moment on the world historical event of the passing of Queen Elizabeth. I know that uh, my two colleagues here are American. They, they, they inherit uh, the tradition of rebellion, um, but I am a Canadian, as everyone knows, and uh, I this Queen Elizabeth was my queen, and um, in addition to uh, a few of the people that watch our Parsha talk, and we know who you are, uh, and this is a world historical event. On that, on that scale alone, it's worth uh, remarking. And um, so, go ahead. when you say that. Queen Elizabeth is your queen. I suppose that gives us the opportunity to say that Freddie Mercury is our queen. <laughs> but, you know, can you, Elliot, maybe just explain to me in a couple of sentences, what is the Commonwealth? I, I don't get it. And what is the, the Commonwealth United are the, the nations that all inherited the, the mantle of the monarchy, uh, that, that these were nations founded by, you know, that were part of the British Empire, there's no longer a British Empire, but they all share in common a, a, a heritage of the monarchy. Look, uh, in Canada, the Queen, uh, the Queen's effigy, her picture was on uh, all the coins, um, the twenty dollars and bill, stamps too, right? And stamps too, many of them, not all of them, of course. Uh, and uh, you, you, uh, the Queen is in my passport. The Queen, you swear an oath when you become a citizen of Canada to the Queen, the Crown is the uh, the name of, uh, you know, the state attorney is the crown. It's called the crown. It's the crown versus a defendant. Um, and the crown, you know, plays a significant role as, as the non-political, the apolitical ceremonial head of state. And I mentioned this in, in my show last week that that's actually not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to have someone who has that symbolic role um, that can function as a unifier uh, and to keep, you know, private their their own political opinions uh, and and be above the fray. And, uh, you know, the way a parliamentary democracy works in a constitutional monarchy is uh, the, 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 the party that has the most seats forms a government and goes to, in Canada, they go to the governor general, who's the representative of the queen, and says, we can form a government. At the at the at the governor general's invitation, basically, Israel, by the way, inherited uh, that form in the in the office of the president. The president has the same uh, an, uh, constitutional, as it were, position as the monarch. It's a symbolic uh, ceremonial head of state, 
that is above the political fray and uh, intervenes, you know, during political crises when when one party or another can't form a government, etc. But she she was uh, truly an incredible uh, individual, and um, and seventy years is is you know beyond lifetime. the lifetime of many. And the Nasi the Nasi in Israel, I, I do think. I mean, I don't exactly know, but I think it's a fairly salutary institution because the people who have occupied it have have with the exception of one one guy who literally from that office went to jail for rape, um, they have mostly been people of, you know, just really wide, wide, wide admiration through society. And they've been able to, like, you know, uh, give give tochecha sometimes, speaking of this week's Parsha, to give to give some criticism to the to the political life and have, you know, articulated um, like civic virtue kinds of things in a good way. So I think that the Nasi office right. Is, is, a, is a really good thing. And in the United States, we don't have it. And in fact, right now, I mean, here in 2022, everybody is, is there's simply no avenue in which people can be a leader in a non-viciously partisan way. You know, right. Trump yeah. has to be viciously partisan in his way. And even, even though I'm generally speaking a fan of Joe Biden, you know, like the, it's an argument to say that that MAGA Republican speech was also viciously partisan with with malice toward not uh, quite a malice toward some, as Brett Stevens said. Yeah, as Brett Stevens said. Okay, so back to our parsha, our parsha Kitavo. It's actually it's quite a fascinating parsha. I wouldn't say it's an amazing parsha, of course, but it's fascinating because look, we recognize the the opening of the parsha. We recognize the opening of the parsha from the Haggadah of Pesach, and and the passage that I'm referring to is the passage that a pilgrim makes. Upon bringing the first fruits, the pro, the pilgrim places the first fruits in a tene, right? The tene, and he goes to the court, and he brings the tene to the court. No, the tene is a basket, and he and he sets it down. And he sets it down, and it's he a drop shot. Like just a little, just over the net, he pops it. He recites to the kohen, Vanita Vamarta. My father was a wandering Aramean. So what's great about this passage? And what's is how is this passage a model of a religious sensibility? I'm going to turn to you, Barry. And because so this is one of my favorite passages in the in the Torah. And one of the things that we sometimes forget is that Judaism is the religion of the rabbis. And whatever we want to call the biblical religion, it, it's not Judaism. And the biblical religion was driven by this idea that the culmination of God's promise to our ancestors was to be in the land of Israel. Right? And that's why this passage is so important. We began wandering in Aram. We went down to Egypt. God brings us out with signs and wonders. And in this passage in particular, there's a great deal of emphasis on the miracles that God did for us. And he brings us to this land, and the farmer comes with his first fruits, which are the tangible evidence that God has fulfilled his promise. So let me let me quote the verse. It's verse 10. Now here I am bringing the first fruits of the soil. Right, and that Haveti 
I just realized echoes the fifth word of redemption in the passage in Exodus chapter 6, the one that we have a close Eliyahu for. So God says it in Exodus of 80, and the farmer says it when he brings his fruits, because this is the fulfillment of God's promise. So it's such a fascinating... Among other things, things, I just want to say, Barry, what a great point that is, and reminds you that you can't read a Bible passage. you got to read the Bible. you got to read the whole thing, and to hear the echoes... Um, from one from one passage to another, this was that was a great great connection. So I want to say that that I use this text as a model of of all you know ceremony creation, right? We 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 are custom ceremony designers sometimes as rabbis, and what this passage does is it says that there's a declaration, a, a narrative, there's a story that asks, why am I here? How how did I get here? You know, when when we stand under the chuppah for a wedding, when we stand with a boy or girl at their, you know, bar bar mitzvah, when we are at any kind of transitional moment, any liminal moment, we always have to kind of stop and take note of where we are. And the Arami Avido V passage basically says, you 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 stop now, you pilgrim. You know, it's a declaration, it's a script. Uh, we're, we're giving you the script, but remind yourself of the script so that you know where you are. There's something so valuable in that, in having a kind of, it's a liturgical declaration. It's a scripted declaration that says, this is who you are. This is why you are here. This is how you got here. And, and you know, let me help you convey your emotions with that. I think that that's what's, what's going on here. I mean, do, do, We were thinking about other cultures, and specifically in in the United States, are there any canonical kinds of statements that compress American history? The only one that I can come up with off the top of my head was the the Gettysburg Address, which, which, without having the copy here, basically in the the beginning sentences basically says, you know, four score and seven years ago, meaning... Lincoln is locating himself at the burial ground in Gettysburg and saying, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. And that, and it becomes a canonical text because it compresses a history into a very accessible way, I think. Uh, I, th- I think that, first of all, obviously the Gettysburg Address, like this passage, is um, brief. And it's got everything packed into it. And, and because it does tell you, listen, here's what happened in the past, and here's what it was for. It was dedicated to the, to the proposition that all men are created equal. And, um, and what we are now fighting is to ensure that that is true, uh, and the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth, and a new birth of freedom. It is the greatest text you know, in American history, but there there are a couple of others that fill that. We, we nobody remembers how long MLK spoke on uh, August uh, whatever it was, nineteen sixty three. Um, but that that description about the dream for the future, I think, plays a similarly canonical kind of role. Absolutely, absolutely. So that speech is an interesting counterpoint because I'm thinking about Aramio Veda V and the Gettysburg Address. And what they do is reduce history so that we all can acknowledge the beginning, whether it's the wandering Aramean or the uh, Declaration of Independence. It, it begins with the beginning, and we are carried forward by it. And 
you know, a lot of us have been thinking about 9-11, which was this past Sunday, and a lot of note was made how the ceremonies that mark the day, even in New York, have changed quite a bit in the 21 years since the original event because there are just fewer people who were witness to what happened. And I don't know that anyone sees 9-11 as a beginning of something. When I was a kid, you know, the great day was Pearl Harbor, which is hardly noted today because World War II also didn't begin anything. Okay, it's part of our hit. It's so part of our history, but it's not the sweep of history. What all of those days then are missing is a canonical text that anyone could read and and coalesce with. I mean, uh, you know, on Israel Independence Day, do we do we crank out the Israel's Declaration of Independence? It 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 is a compressed history of of Israel up until the, the declaration, even the American Declaration of Independence it, it is, it's not a particularly long document and it does summarize, you know, what the, what the situation was and what the grievance was. Most people can't relate to it because, you know, it, it, it presents the, the, the tyrannical uh, abuses of, of the monarchy and the power. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, going back to a canonical text, and having that, I think, is very valuable here. It's, it's. Look, the rabbis certainly understood it because the rabbis basically cut and pasted it in into the the Haggadah. It was, it was Rav, Rav, you know. But you know, like the um, the canon. I mean, the dynamics of what produces a canonical text that we all hold. I mean, I feel about the Gettysburg. I feel extremely strongly about the Gettysburg Address, but I don't recite it in shul. I don't yeah. recite it as part of a ritual. Um, the Declaration of Independence is, of course, particularly complicated. You know, it's 2022. We've spent certainly the, a long time in America, but most acutely these last few years with some significant portion of our fellow citizens, the those descended from African slaves, uh, with, you know, asserting that they, do, that they don't feel uh, that a document largely written by a slave owner is the articulation of freedom that they can feel part of. Um, you know, Frederick Douglass had the famous uh, speech, what to a slave is the 4th of July, a famous essay, what to a slave is the 4th of July. And he, and he in Frederick Douglass's own greatness, uh, he says, I'm not giving up on America because the Declaration of Independence articulates such a powerful ideal. It is my ideal, even as I am acutely aware that it is not realized in practice. So I can't celebrate your 4th of July today but I can hold this country to the ideal articulated in the um, in the in the document itself. Like like Armio Veravi, among the things that I find powerful about this passage is that, as, as you guys were saying before, it locates Jewish history in a in a sweep of exile, wandering, and homecoming and return. This is this is Judaism, man. You know, Abraham born in Mesopotamia, goes down to Egypt, tries to get back. Jacob runs to Mesopotamia, goes down to Egypt, tries to get back. We have a strong sense of exile and the long for hope for return. And, you know, I, I, I think as an American, we don't have a liturgical text quite like that, but I think that we ought to be able to feel something like that the uh, our citizenship is keyed to, tied to the, the gap between uh, an imagined ideal, a, a homecoming of where we would like to be and the, and the realities of where we are. Well, I, I keep I'm thinking as you speak, I, I think, wouldn't it be great to have one? Wouldn't it be great... In, if if there was 
some kind of canonical text that everybody could agree to the same way you know that you have an apolitical we talked about the queen so you know this the, the symbol was a at least in its in its highest uh, aspiration was a unifier and look for us we, we do have canonical text the torah is a canonical the bible is canonized these are canonical texts and you know no matter where you are on on the map of you know jewish life you can all say this is ours and we we affirm it uh as something that that is our shared heritage and 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 defines us in ways that you know here we are perfect example of of still uh you know interpreting it and conversing about it well there's a there's a second canonical text or a second declaration text which is even it's it's interesting i think uh it, it's it's uh here it, the the the, the, per, the pilgrim on the third year brings a tithe to the temple and he makes the following declaration he says i got rid of all of the sacred things in my house i i gave everything that i was supposed to give to the levite to the stranger to the orphan and the widow i did everything according to what you commanded me I didn't for, I didn't transgress. I didn't forget. I didn't do anything wrong. Basically, is what he's saying. And this is what. I, and now, God, look down from above, and um, bless Israel, your people, and this land that you gave to us. Like you promised your your our ancestors, our our, our fathers. I, it's a remarkable declaration. It basically said, "Look, I, I'm a blameless person. I did everything. I did. A, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong." And and uh, what's what's striking to me, you know, here we are, you know, a few weeks away from this great period of of teshuvah and repentance and and confession. You know, the con, the confessions that we recite in in Judaism in the synagogue. We did everything wrong. We did everything wrong. And here, the pilgrim is saying, I did nothing wrong. I, I, appreciate I have, a, uh, I, I have a, uh, first of all, I'm not the first person to do this, but I did make up a, you know, for the for the 22 letters, an acrostic for the good things that we did. There so I, I always recite that in, uh, no. in, in Yom Kippur too, because I do think that it is a, it's a little bit of a warped sensibility if all you ever do is talk about what you do wrong. I, I have a slightly different take on uh, on on the, this passage, which is called the Vidui Maaser. Interesting, the, the the declaration of the tithe, Vidui, um, m- meaning confession or statement or something like that. But we do usually associate the word Vidui with with confession of wrongdoing, admit that you did something wrong. The Torah does not call this a vidui. That's what rabbinic tradition has come to call it. And I wonder if it is for exactly the reason that you're saying, Elliot, the uh, the the paired uh, version, you know, <laughs> the, the mirror image of the of the the vidui of all the sins and and the vidui of doing something good. I think of it not really as this affirmation that I'm blameless because the same person may have uh, you know actually stolen and lied and done any number of things, but at least they did this well. So I think of this, the Vidui Maaser, as something like a biblical version of 
ברוך אתה השם אלוקינו מלך העולם אשר קידשנו במצוותיו וציוונו לעשות בלה 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 blessed are you God you commanded us to do something and here we are about to do it I think of it as like a, a I think of saying ברכות המצוות the blessings before doing a commandment I think of them as like a meditative you know orientation or a kavana like so you feel it you don't just go to the action you actually say oh Baruch HaTashem blessed are you for giving me this moment of holiness that I can do this good action. So the person, uh, as, as you know, Barry said earlier, like this, the Bible is just so focused on possession of the land, living in the land, agricultural produce in the land. The person has said, uh, you know, I farm the land and I've been commanded to physically sustain the the poor, the Levites, the orphan, the widow. And you know what? I sure could tell him it's what time it's Ivana when I did it. I mean... Well, he's not exactly saying that, salutary thing. but he's also saying, look, I did, I did my quid and now I want your quo. I want, well, I, I think we have to figure out exactly what the quo is here. So what I, there's a, an important theological shift between these two passages, the first fruits and the Vidui Maser. The first fruits emphasizes God's great actions on our behalf in Egypt, the Ototem of Tim, the signs and wonders with which he brought us out of Egypt. When the farmer gives his vidui um, maser, he is saying what he did. The emphasis is on the human action, and all he is asking for from God is God's blessing. He's not asking for signs and wonders anymore because those signs and wonders have become normalized or routinized. They're in the the woof and the warp of the agricultural life, and so the vidui maser is actually about human participation in the divine plan almost as equal partners. So we could see the Vidui Maser as the farmer saying, I have given everything to the people who need it. God, now it's your turn to give us on earth everything that we need as well. Jerry, I want, I want you to um, just, uh, in, in, in one of the traditional versions of Birkat Kohanim, you're a Kohen, Yeah. So, so they they cite this verse like Shkifa. So, so when you when you, as a Kohen, uh, say as part of the ritual repetition of the Amidah, as happens in in most parts of Israel every day, it happens in most uh, diaspora Orthodox synagogues on the high holidays and the Shalosh uh, Galim, the pilgrimage festivals, um, and not that often outside of Orthodox synagogues. But I, I really I, I do. feel very moved to do it. I feel that that power of blessing and love of the people. So whenever I'm in Israel, certainly I try to do it uh, every day as I can. So um, you, you know, you, you get up there, you, you go up, the Kohen, the Kohenim go up onto the Bima or whatever raised platform or in front of the Ark uh, when the, in the repetition, when the Shlech Tzibor gets to the blessing of Ritzei, uh, you go up and you put the tiles over your head and you face the Ark and then As the, as the prayer leader goes through the Modim paragraph, they get to the end of that. Um, and then you say a blessing, and you say, Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddushanu B'Kiddushato Shel HaHaron. You sanctified us with, with the uh, holiness of Aaron. V'tzivanu Levarech Adamo Yisrael Be'ahava. And you commanded us to bless the people with love. And so you say, word by word, the Shalich Tzibor feeds, feeds the Kohanim, the Birkat HaKonim, the Priestly Blessings, etc. And then when that's over, you turn back, you, you have you have 
when you say the blessing, you turn towards the people, and when it's over, you turn back towards the ark, and there's a little kavana that you're supposed to say, uh, which consists mostly of this verse, Hashkifa mimon kochecha min hashamayim, look down from your heavenly abode, as, as you said before, and bless the people and the land, uh, which you've given us. But there's a little line before that, which is, Asinu masha gazarta aleinu, afata ase masha alecha la'asot. We've done what you asked of us. Now you do what you what's you know you do your end of the bargain, and I did not know until when preparing for this conversation I looked that Rashi quotes that phrase too. Asino mashagazata aleinu. We've done what you commanded us, and he quotes it out of the midrash. So I didn't know until preparing for today that what the Kohanim say is not only a verse. They say the midrash on the verse and the verse, which I thought was pretty cool. It's it's quite a. In an astounding theology, which is, and I, I mean, audacious is what I want to say. It's 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 chutzpah. You know, we we've done our share. Now you got to do your share. We got to, We, in a way, we're saying to you, God, um, you know, time time to show up. You know, basically, or or you, you we've delivered for you, and and um, and it's it's not begging God. It's just saying to God you were holding you to your promises and and that there's a lot of audacity there i think um there is i mean it it, it is audacious uh we talked a few weeks ago on, on parsha akev about the degree to which the the quid pro quo you know do the mitzvot so that you'll get rewarded you know the degree to which that works or doesn't work um you know this is part and parcel of that same kind of religious orientation that human beings, that, that listen, that the good part, the, the, the very generous and, and attractive way to say this is that God and Israel or God and humanity have a breed. we got a covenant. Each of us has some responsibilities. We'll do some stuff. God will do some stuff. And the reciprocity of that is what makes, what you know, the, the building of a community dedicated to doing our part is like really, really one of the best things in Judaism. Um, the, the, the sort of... Uh, you know, how about a little something for the effort, God? You know, like, can I have a tip? You know, is is maybe a little bit less appealing, but so it is. All right, I know we, we don't have a lot of time here, but but let's just go to the next little passage. We didn't talk about this before. We, were, you know, but but this is such a great passage. It's chapter twenty six, verse uh, sixteen. Hayom Hazeh. This day, first we could talk all about the word Hayom in the book of Dvarim, that Hayom is this day, it's it's a long day that it's, it's been going on with this speech. Hayom azeh Adonai Elohechem etzavcha lasot et ha-hukim Today God is t- t- commanding you to do all these laws. V'shamarte v'asito otam, you should guard them and do them. V'chol avavcha v'chol nafshecha, with all your heart, with all your soul. Et Adonai Marta Hayom. Oh, yeah. Okay, so give me your best translation of that. Et Adonai Marta. God has, but spoken to you, God has be... Well, Et Adonai Marta, and then later it's Badonai Ha'emircha. So, by the way, this is our, 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 our listeners will, of course, recognize this from Kianu Amecha. This is the only place where that, where the Amar, if I'm not mistaken, could be wrong, but... Yeah, he felt formed. The he feel form, yeah. This is a very rare, rare form that the you 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 are spoken for for God and God spoken for for you, or you you swore God to an oath and God swore to you, or something like that. But we we know it from the liturgical element. 
אנו Okay, go to the last verse. We're to be God's treasured people and to be placed above all the other people. That's a rather another audacious statement. In a way, it's saying you're chosen, you're chosen, and you have responsibilities. And relating to being chosen, it doesn't mean being better, but maybe that's... Well, you can't, you can't, you can't, It's a little hard to talk our way around Elyon. <laughs> Le titre Elyon will put you above. But listen, we, we are an inheritor. It's, we are inheritors of a set of religious ideas and texts, and not all of which are the ones that we might choose right away in 2022. I myself do think that we, we should turn the knob way down on the chosenness thing, but turn the knob way up. On the covenantal responsibility thing. okay well that that that's you know they're both part of the same coin barry have a, a word on on this and then we gotta we gotta you know just summarize here for for the blessings and the curses and all that which we don't have time for uh but but it's quite astounding list and and uh of course um you know to 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 know that again once again the torah is reminding us if you do this you'll be blessed if not there'll be consequences to that and some of them are quite dire in uh, Kitavo, the sixth Aliyah of Kitavo being uh, a very, very complicated Aliyah uh, to, to sit through. But uh, we have come to the end of our time together. Unfortunately, we have so much as usual to talk about in this Parsha, but not enough time. Uh, but we'll talk about another Parsha again next week. So in the meantime, we want to wish everyone a beautiful Shabbat. Have a wonderful, all. wonderful Shabbat. We look forward to seeing you again on the next edition of Parsha's